All right, Matt. So I found this out the other day that leather is actually rated on texture, like how, yeah. how it feels. And cows that have a lot of water typically have softer hides, so they're rated A, A hide. Okay. But hides from cows in like hot, dry climates are usually dehydrated. <laughs> Dang it. I was trying to figure it out as you went. I didn't get there. <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. (laughs) All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? I'm doing pretty good, man. Good. Good. So before we get into it, I want to say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. You can find a list of shows that we're happy to be associated with, and you can find some tips and tricks on podcasting if you want to get into podcasting. Also, while you're on the internet, go rate and review us. If you don't mind, give us a rate and review. It helps boost the algorithm or whatever it is. But it when people search for podcast in our genre, then if we have a lot of reviews, then we'll pop up and it'll bring more people into the graveyard. So go over there, give us a, a rate and review, say something nice, you know, don't care what you say. You can give <laughs> us a glowing positive Son- review or a recipe. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we got a banana bread recipe one time. We did. That was good. That was yeah, good. it was pretty good. Um, we also want to let y'all know that we've been kind of been teasing it for a while, but Mm. sometime this month in February, we are going to, for our $10 patrons, the $10 level, we're going to start dropping a new show that's Patreon only. You can only get it if you're a $10 patron and it's, it's going to be different. Because what we're going to do, we're going to remove the video of the recording of this show and put it on YouTube for everybody. But in replacement of that, you're going to get your very own unique show. It's going to be nothing like Graveyard Tales. There is going to be cussing. So just keep in mind, keep that in mind. If if I I feel like just a big cuss show. Well, <laughs> I, I feel like we have to say it because Graveyard Tales is clean with right. innuendo jokes. This right. is not going to be innuendo jokes. This right. is going to be in-your-face jokes. It's we'll we'll talk like we normally talk. Yeah, yeah, just like you know we we would casually speak into one another, and it it's it's going to be uh, like Adam said, it's different. We're going to have uh, special guests. Um, it, it it's going to be much more conversational than even graveyard tales is. Um, you know, we're, we're going to discuss all kinds of different, you know, topics. We may not have a topic, you know, uh, when, when we have a special guest, it's not going to be an interview. It's just, we're, we're bringing them in to kind of, you know, talk and chat and bring up whatever. It's going to be um, more like a look into our lives 
more than yeah. anything. Yeah. But it's it's gonna it's gonna be a lot of fun too. Um and uh, you know, we we've already been working on it. Um, you know, getting it ready to uh to put out. You know, so we we've already started having some fun with it and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So uh, remember, it's it's only going to be for our $10 patrons. And as soon as we get artwork settled and music settled and stuff like that, then it will go up and we'll let everybody know when it does. But uh, the $10 level is where you will find it. So if you want to get a jump on it sometime this month, we're going to be dropping the pilot episode. So go over there, sign up patreon.com slash graveyard tales, sign up to become a $10 patron and you'll get access to the brand new show and you can have it stream into your podcatcher, whatever you use. You don't have to listen to listen to it on the website, copy the RSS feed into your podcatcher and you can get it on there like any other show. Right. Right. So Matt, that's all I've got for the housekeeping and the intro. So why don't you tell us, what are we talking about tonight, brother? Okay, so tonight we're we're going to talk about four separate alien abductions, okay? Um, I, I came across these. Uh, it, it, was, um, it was a much, much bigger list, and we, we divided it up, kind of narrowed it down to Divide some of the most yeah, some of the most compelling, and some of these are are really really fascinating. The people that are involved in the stories are, you know, fascinating in in some respects. Um, we're gonna get into into the details of their abduction and you know what it's led to in their lives. Um, but I I think when we're finished with this show, you, you're going to either feel like we are not alone or man, there are some loonies in this world. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it's going to be one or the other. You're not going to be uh, yeah, on the yeah. fence. I don't, I don't necessarily think it's going to be, uh, the latter. I, I, I think, you know, you're going to feel like, okay, you know, there are some people out there that have had experiences that, you know, are crazy enough that they're believable and that we, uh, we are not alone. Right. And right. there's there uh, some, something's out there. I tend to think that something's right here, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but, <laughs> but either way, these are going to be some really great stories. So, uh, so you'll enjoy it, Adam. Let's get it rolling, brother. All right, so as we always say, go check our sources down at the bottom of the show notes. You can find where we found all this information. You can keep looking into the abduction stories if you want. Um, Like Matt said, these are some of the ones that we found most compelling. We found some other ones, but we figured they deserve their own full episode. Um, And when you compile these along with the ones that we've done before and the ones that we will do in future episodes, it it paints a pretty compelling picture for something going on, like Matt said. Man, it does. It really does. You, you know, you just you're just like I. I can't. You can't make up all of this, right? You know, right? And you can't take one individually and say, "Yes, hundred percent, 
there's <laughs> aliens out there and they're abducting people. You can't do that off of one individual abduction encounter, abduction mm-hmm. story, whatever. You kind of have to do like Matt and I have done over the years and look at all of them and go, you know, there's something about all of these that makes mm-hmm. me feel like they're legitimate because there are some wacko stories, but yeah. we didn't put the wacko stories in here. Right, right. Yeah. We weeded them out for you. So the first one that I've got is the Berkshire UFO sighting. Now, in Berkshire, uh, Berkshire County, Massachusetts, in 1969, there was a mass UFO incident that a bunch of people were witness to and people all over America were fascinated by. Now, in Roswell, New Mexico, a replica of the alleged vessel was even displayed at the International UFO Museum. So that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And they, in the Roswell International UFO Museum, the replica of what this craft that was seen was supposed to look like is there in the museum. Now, on the evening of September 1st, 1969, the residents of the town of Sheffield located in southern Berkshires, watched as lights descended down into the town. Many of these residents said that the lights were attached to a UFO. Now, according to those who witnessed the incident, they said the UFO was disc-shaped and that it was performing, quote, acrobatic maneuvers in the sky above the town. They said they couldn't exactly pinpoint how long the incident occurred because most or all of them, quote, lost track of time, which that seems to be a common occurrence with a lot of these UFO sightings. However, the seemingly brief UFO encounter was apparently powerful enough to leave a lingering sense of mass confusion in its wake. School kids were drawing UFOs in class while adults called, called into the local radio station to explain what they had seen. Quote, we had listeners call the radio station that evening, said David Issy, general manager of local radio station WSBS. Quote, at the time, they didn't know if it was a UFO. They just, you know, called the station to say something bizarre has happened. Yeah, and that's, you know, uh, that's always one of the things that makes me feel like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I want to hear more because... You didn't immediately jump to UFO. Right, right. You you thought, well, there's something weird. You know, it's a weird looking plane. You know, maybe you even thought, oh, crap, are we under attack or something like mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so they just, they reach out to local news stations or um, a, an Air Force base or something like that. And they're going, hey, um, this is what we saw. Do, do y'all know about this? You know, and go from there instead of going, hey, I, I'm i on the news and I saw UFO today. Right. You know, just, instead right. of jumping to that, they kind of go, it's kind of like what I do and what Adam does with, uh, with paranormal experiences. It's like, could this have been something else? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, if I hear a noise, I don't immediately think, well, it's a ghost. Right, right. You know, but when I can't explain it, then you know i start to ponder yeah perhaps it is same thing here yeah same thing here yep 
And a lot of witnesses said they didn't know exactly what they saw, but they know they, quote, saw something strange. So it was later estimated that about 40 people reported seeing the UFO. Some of them who were children at the time still live in the area today. Quote, children coming into school talking about the event, said Robert Kroll, the director of the Great Barrington Historical Society in 2018. Quote, an, an old student of mine. And this guy talks in partial sentences, but I'm quoting what they've got here. He, like children coming into school talking about the event. An old student of mine. <laughs> he, I'll keep going. It's like but he's just, doing mad libs. Yeah, I'll keep going, but just bear with the partial sentences here. I It, it was confusing to me when I first read it. Quote, one is a local shop owner whose father was the police chief in town. So these are reliable people. These are not self-promoters. For some reason, he put a big pause in, in between the and police chief. But, you yeah. know, trying to do it the way he does it, it, it's difficult sometimes. People's cadences are weird. Now, the witness accounts were so plentiful and compelling that the local Great Barrington Historical Society recognized the encounter as, quote, the first off-world UFO case in U.S. history about 45 years later. Which is a weird thing to say since we have so many of these, but. Right. Now, let's look at the most prominent eyewitness to the event, Thomas Reed. Now, on September 1st, 1969, Thomas Reed was nine years old, and he was riding in the car with his mom, grandma, and brother. As Reed recalled, the family was heading home from their from uh, their restaurant village on the green, and he was busy giving his brother a little fireball candy, when suddenly they noticed a mass of glowing lights peeking out from behind the lush trees on the empty road. Now, the strange lights continued to spill out from behind the trees and onto the road as the family crossed the covered Sheffield Bridge, but they didn't know what to make of the, of the site. Quote, we all looked at it because it was kind of a self-contained glow, Thomas said. It rose up a little bit. It looked like it followed the dirt road, which I'm sure it probably didn't, but it appeared that way because we could see it through the trees. The light started to bleed through once we broke into a little bit of a clearing. We could see inside the car, so the light was flooding inside the car. So it was real bright if it was illuminating the inside of the car. Oh, yeah. Now, after an amber glow emerged on both sides of the road, uh, Thomas recalled being taken to a hangar-like area that was bigger than a football field. Quote, we encountered something, Reed said. It was definitely not of this world. We had a black and white television at the time, and the imagery that we saw on this thing was unbelievable. There were lights that looked like fluorescent tubing inside this hangar. Quote, this hallway we had seen was circular with a Y configuration almost to control the flow of traffic. This one room had a bowed-in wall that was rounded. This was not something that you would have seen in 1969 anywhere else. I have no idea where I was, but I know that what I saw was very different than anything I've ever seen today 50 years later. So I think it's interesting that he mentions this is not something you would have seen anywhere in 1969. 
in the normal yeah. world. It, yeah. It's an interesting fact to me. Well, I wonder what what the I don't get the significance of the black and white TV. I don't. I didn't either. Uh, when he quoted that, I guess he was saying. What I gather is that what he was saying is they had a black and white TV at home. So what they saw with these fluorescent illuminated lights and everything, he never witnessed a sight like that on TV because it oh, was okay. in Maybe, full yeah. color. I don't know for sure. That's what I gathered from it, but it seemed like a weird addition to the description to me as well. But Yeah, okay. I, I, I buy that album. Yep. Now, glimpses of this strange place muddied his brain until he realized that they were back inside the car. His grandmother and mother had switched seats in the car. So, like, if mom was driving and grandma was in passenger seat, when they came back from the abduction, grandma was now driving. And yeah. we've heard several stories of people after an abduction being placed back almost exactly right but not quite yeah yeah it's gonna like come up again too either in the wrong seat in the wrong the wrong side of the road their pants were on backwards something was off <laughs> can you can you imagine you, you 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 come to and your pants are on backward yep you lose track of time you wake right. back up and all of a sudden my pants are on backwards what what is wrong i don't now more astonishingly there were no more glowing lights, Thomas Reed said. Quote, everything got really calm. It was like being in the middle of a hurricane. There was like a barometric change in pressure. It was just like a dead silence. Then there was an eruption of crickets and frogs, and it got really loud. And that was it, Reed said, adding that it was all, quote, quite confusing. So it's that Oz effect that we've heard about. You know, at yeah. the time... Everything's dead silent, and then it, it. We talked about it in Missing Four One One, where people are walking through the forest, and all of a sudden, everything goes quiet. Crickets, everything. So, have you ever experienced that? Not in that sense, but I have um, been in. I've been in the woods, and I think a large predator or something walked close because the birds and everything stopped. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, I, the crickets didn't stop, but all the big, the bigger animals stopped making noises. And I went, crap, I'm not alone. There's a large animal out here because they were fine with me. Now they're not. Right. I, see, I've had that happen to me before. And I was kind of like, I was, I was freaked out because I, I didn't necessarily think large predator, but I definitely thought I'm not alone, mm -hmm. you know, out here. and. It's an eerie feeling yeah. when you, I mean, it's, it, I always think of it as like when you're at a party and you're telling somebody a story and everything's loud. And right when you're ready to say something, everybody at the party decides to shut up at the exact same time. Yeah. Music goes off. They shut up and you go, yeah. my butthole itched. What? Yeah. <laughs> I used a goody hairbrush to get up. <laughs> Everybody's looking at you. You're like. What? I, I didn't say anything. Yeah, I, that was that was him. <laughs> so Reed has been the most vocal witness to the 1969 Berkshire UFO, and he helped convince other witnesses to pool money together to erect a 5,000-pound concrete monument 
which was built uh, by the covered Sheffield Bridge where he saw the UFO with his family. Now, benching and lighting decorations were also put around this monument after it was erected. Well, later, uh, Reed formed the nonprofit UFO Monument Park Incorporated to maintain the plot of land where the monument stood. Now, I, I heard that since, I guess, in recent times that that monument has been torn down. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I didn't go to verify it, um, but I, I feel like I read that recently they've torn that monument down. Well, I I just looked it up to look at the pictures of it. Um, it, it it's it's got some pictures where it had been vandalized. They mm. had spray painted an X across the the word. It's nothing. It, it's funny. It's nothing spectacular. I yeah. mean, it's just like a plaque on a yeah um, a concrete it, it, pillar or something it's like something you would see outside of a historic home or something you know right, and it you right. can just read the the little blurbs about it um but a neat idea mm-hmm. um you can you know from the pictures i'm looking at you can see the the sheffield bridge behind it yeah um you know, it, it, I don't understand. It seems pretty innocuous to me. I mean, I, I can't imagine why somebody would, would decide they're going to go and paint it. Um, people are just wacko nowadays. Yeah. Or just mean, you know, mean. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, this sighting apparently wasn't Reed's first encounter though. Um, and we need to look at it quickly to help you kind of know what his history is. So he says that in September 1966, so three years before, his encounters began with floating orbs entering the bedroom shared by Thomas and Matthew Reed in their Sheffield home. So Stephen White, a MUFON researcher that worked extensively with Thomas to collect information on the case, recounts, quote, the orbs seemed solid like glass, but without density. The balls were not luminous, but resembled a shiny hole in the air that you could not see through with a bluish outer ring. The orbs had direction. One of the orbs moved slowly to the left of the window, then along the south wall of the room just below the ceiling. Thomas felt as if they could see and were watching him. He closed his eyes, hoping when he opened them, they would be gone. And he did this several times, end quote. Well, days later, a more intense encounter unfolded. The boys found themselves standing at the top of their staircase with, quote, several four and a half to five foot tall ghostly looking figures. And a few seconds later, they found themselves outside by the edge of the property where they saw additional beings and a tarnished looking craft described as having a, quote, turtle shell shape. These be- the beings themselves were substantially similar to the stereotypical grays that are common in modern UFO literature, but also noticeably different, quote, as if they were half human and half gray. So they soon found themselves aboard the craft, which appeared spacious within, with smooth white hallways and no chairs, separated from his brother, six-year-old Tom, found himself in a room that he judged roughly 40 feet in diameter, where he was shown images on a large screen, including a drawing of a willow tree and what appeared to be galaxies. Hmm. One being communicated 
with Thomas that he was he was there for quote important biological research. Quote, there were five beings on the craft, according to another collected account. Quote, the main gray who seemed to have befriended Thomas made him feel important. The interest was in Thomas's biological makeup. Thomas was important. So in various testimonies and interviews, Thomas has referred to this as the beginning of his, quote, indoctrination. Quote, something we were supposed to remember, a way to lead us into what was going to take place. Now, at the conclusion of this experience, the boys awoke back in their bedrooms, and according to Thomas's account of that night, uh, they, you know, they had no recollection of how they got back to their bedrooms. They just awoke back in their beds. Mm-hmm. And this was the first of their three abduction experiences that he and his brother have had. There is one other that we don't have time to get into now that was between the first and the Berkshire UFO sighting in 1969. So he has had multiple encounters and multiple abductions, which we tend to see in a lot of these cases. It tends to be throughout their life, and it can even pass on to their kids and their grandkids having the same experiences. Yeah, it's it's a very common thing. Um but in uh, in the in a couple the couple stories that I I researched, um, that also occurs, right? Um, you know, multiple abductions maybe started in younger years, and it goes throughout adulthood. Um, we've talked about um, another fella that he he had an abduction story, and then continued communication. And then it, it began happening with his son when his son was an adult um, to the extent that this this guy, and I cannot remember his name. I remember seeing an interview with him, but he was saying his son, you know, didn't believe him, but also didn't think he was, you know, out to lunch either. So he was very conflicted until it happened to him. Yeah. But interestingly enough, um, the guy, that guy's son he didn't want to discuss it. He didn't want to be interviewed about it. He didn't, he didn't want to talk about it. And he said he didn't, he really didn't even like talking about it with his dad. Um, cause it just, I mean, it affected him emotionally, um, probably for a lot of reasons, but, yeah. and you got to understand too, that the, the, there's a lot of folks that are just unwilling to come forward with these kind of stories, either because they're afraid of ridicule, or they're they're afraid for themselves mm-hmm. from what they experienced. Maybe they don't want it to happen again, uh, and they're worried that discussing it might bring it about. So uh, the fact that these people have come forward and shared these stories is amazing in and of itself. And especially right. for somebody like Thomas Reed, who's he's he's the face of the Berkshire abduction uh so you know his story has been discussed and reviewed and and dissected over the years um you know that's not a great feeling mm-hmm. you know I mean I, I would think after a while you're just kind of like okay 
I'm, I'm done with this. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. I'm not going to give interviews. I'm not going to write anything about it. I'm just done. You know, it's yep. too much. Yep. Well, and you know, uh, Matthew Thomas's brother doesn't have anything out there. He didn't mm-hmm. talk about it. He didn't whatever. So he's probably that way. Yeah. Very much that way with the, I, yeah, I don't want to talk. Nope. Yeah. Just, you know, Thomas is probably doing more than he would like him to. Yeah. But yeah. And I'm not sure where I would fall in that. Not right. not having had anything even remotely close to this. Um I I I could see me feeling a little bit you know I, I don't I wouldn't want all that attention. Mm-hmm. Um you know, especially because with the good always comes the bad. I mean, you're going to get people that you know are are celebrating you you're going to get just as many people ready to crucify you oh sure you know and i don't think either one is something that i would necessarily Mm -hmm. want right right (laughs) okay so the next one we're going to talk about is terrell copeland now um terrell copeland's story was one i was not familiar with i've at least heard about the other ones of these but i had not really uh, heard Terrell Copeland's name, but his, the thing about Copeland is he, he goes back to something I've said for years. Uh, he had a reputation. He had Mm -hmm. a lot to lose. Terrell Copeland is a former U S Marine. Okay. Mm. Um, so when he comes up with these stories, it's really difficult to just completely discredit him. You know, because, I mean, he's, he's, even as a former Marine, he's still, he still has a standing. Um, he's not going to want to do anything that's going to completely tarnish his reputation. So for him to feel so, so strongly about this, that he's willing to come forward and share these experiences, um, it, it makes me kind of stand up and take notice right now. Copeland claimed that his first experience with aliens occurred in 2007 when he captured footage of what he believed to be a UFO on his cell phone from his apartment in Suffolk, Suffolk, Virginia. Okay. But further interviews over the years has revealed that he had witnessed a massive triangular shaped craft over a Suffolk shopping center. One night in 2005, two years earlier. Hmm. And and there's even uh, information out there that he potentially saw a UFO as a child. Um, I think he was about maybe 15. So uh, I think when this happened, he was in his mid to late 20s. Hmm. Um, okay. You know, so potentially 10 years prior he had had an experience, not, not necessarily an abduction experience, but he, he had, you know, he had witnessed something, but Terrell Copeland says the first time I saw a jet maneuvering around a massive ball of light that was on East Washington street, close to the dismal swamp, dismal swamp. That is a, that is a fitting name. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> Yeah, for a well, swamp. This swamp sure is dismal. Let's call it that. This yep. is dismal swamp. 
for a swamp, I don't know that you could get a better name. <laughs> That's right. To be honest. Just, it'd have like swampy swamp. That'd be about right. it. You know. Wet swamp. <laughs> he says, I was facing downtown. The light was probably about two miles away. And the jets were probably about 15,000 feet up. Three nights later, he says he saw the same thing. Hmm. He says, I was driving in front of the Fresh Pride Grocery Center, and I saw it up close. The light was hovering over the center. I pulled up to the parking lot and was not prepared for what I saw. There was an object inside the light. He said the light had been an illusion. At first, I thought it was just a stealth bomber. He said, but then I realized that a stealth wasn't that big. He described the vehicle as moving very slowly, taking about seven minutes to get to the other side of the parking lot. Oh, wow. I mean, you think about how big a grocery store parking lot is and then taking seven minutes to go from one side to the other. That's a long time. That thing's yeah. creeping. And it it's obviously not uh, a plane because they're moving right. a lot faster than that to stay up. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's it, it appears that it's it's got some other means of, you know, propulsion to allow it to travel that slow and stay aloft. Right. Now, since then, Copeland said he's been the object time and time again and the beings have begun to take a personal interest in him. He said he's not sure why or even how they take him. But they place him under paralysis. He says it's like when scientists observe a wild animal. Now, he says the first time was during the last Saturday in February of 2008. He said, I went to sleep on my couch and woke up in a massive dining hall. He said there were lots of tables. Everything was white and people were eating. He said they all looked like human beings. Now, Copeland said he was still in his bed clothes, and at first, he thought he was just having a crazy dream. He took it as a real experience when he realized later that the speakers that he kept on his window had been moved. He said they were tucked away in a position that made no sense. He said, it's not something I would have done. The only conclusion for me was that they brought me in and out through the window and place the speakers back there. So this goes again to Adam, you know, Adam's talking about in the Berkshire case, the mom and the grandmother had switched places. In this case, Copeland is looking going, okay, I thought this was a dream, but I wouldn't have done that with those Mm -hmm. speakers. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have arranged them in that way. I wouldn't have any reason to do it that way. And so that kind of led him to think a little bit harder and go, maybe that wasn't a dream. Right, right. Now, in regards to the 2007 video, um, Copeland says that was an orb of light. He said it was just a big ball of light. It wasn't moving. Um, He said one was solid white and the other was directly across the street from it, about 300 feet above the ground, and it was changing colors very rapidly. Copeland recalled a feeling as though something was wrong and that he wasn't supposed to be witnessing this. But he alleged that it wasn't until after he published the footage online 
that things really got weird. He says, I woke up from a nap by the sound of someone trying to enter my apartment. Said I said, who is it? And there was no answer. You could see the doorknob moving and there was like a scratching at the door. Hmm. He says, I keep a firearm. I mean, he's ex-military. Yep. He said it was on his table and he said he remembers thinking, I need to go get up and and get my gun. But despite the urge to get up, Copeland said he was completely paralyzed and was only able to move his eyes. Oh, wow. But suddenly, he says he heard a voice through the door tell him, you don't need that weapon. We won't harm. Hmm. Now, Copeland says that the visitor identified himself as military and stated that the government, quote, has a personal relationship with E.T. Now, that that statement there sounds a little strange. Yeah. And I think it's because of the movie. Okay. So whenever somebody says E.T., if you're of a certain age, you think about E.T., the alien from the movie. Yeah. You know, the big goofy looking E.T. phone head, the long neck that goes up and down, all that. Yeah. Now, I don't, I don't even, I, I don't even think my younger kids would know what ET was. Maybe, maybe they've seen it. I, I couldn't say for sure. That's why I say of a certain age. But I have also read that this is an acceptable term for these beings. Yeah, extraterrestrial. Yeah. Um, that that is. You know, if if you believe these folks that have communicated with aliens, they say that this is the term that they prefer. Okay, so you know, be sure to be politically correct when you're speaking <laughs> with your neighborhood aliens. Right. Um. He said the incident certainly resembled the natural phenomenon known as sleep paralysis, uh, which a lot of people have experienced. Adam, you've you've had experiences like that. Oh yeah. Yep. He said, but Copeland soon began to experience missing hours. Okay. Uh, and, and this is another common thread with these stories is the, is the, the missing time. Yeah. He says he was incapable of accounting for four waking hours during a span of two nights. He said, when you see these objects and then you do the research and then you see that so many people have experienced the same thing as you, you have to say to yourself, Maybe there is something to this. So Copeland says he began to keep a log um, and sketches uh, from his memory of what had happened during his episodes of missing time. Okay. Because he was, he would sit there and say, okay, so I did this. I ate lunch. I did this. I'm in this giant dining hall. Uh, there's a lot of people around me. I'm in my yeah, underwear, I'm still, basically. I'm, st- I'm in pajamas. You know, it's like Hitchhiker's Guide. Um, mm-hmm. Don't forget your towel. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Don't forget your towel. Um, but then, and he goes back and he's kind of journaling this. He's realizing that more time has passed than what he can account for. Yeah. 
So he's like, well, you know, where was I? What was I doing? Why can't I remember what happened from two to four o'clock or whatever? Um, if that's ever happened to you, it is a really bizarre sensation. Okay. Sure, it, yeah. It's happened to me once. I was really, really sick. Okay. I was really, really sick and, you know, had been, was taking some medication and I mean, I was not asleep. I know I wasn't asleep, but I couldn't tell you what I did over a span of about three hours for anything. Huh. And it just, it, it just knocks you back. So I would imagine when he started picking up on this, that's what it was. I mean, you're you're gobsmacked. You're like, what? Why can't I remember this? Mm-hmm. You know, what what could I possibly have been doing? You start looking for clues to give you an idea. Maybe I was working on something. Maybe I was writing. Maybe I was cooking. You know, you can't figure it out. But he goes on to say that he was in a room and he saw a woman who didn't have complete human features. He said she had the typical black eyes that you hear about. She had an elongated skull, and that startled me. And the next memory I have is me standing on my balcony waving at this cylinder-shaped ship. Weird. You know, so, uh, you know, time has passed. He can't account for it. Um, But Copeland's stories were eventually chronicled on the History Channel, and, you know... as I said, they're pretty compelling, but they're also unproven, um, which all alien abduction cases are. Right. Um, but in the end, Copeland says that his experience was for the best, and he feels like it has left him with a desire to be a better person. Um, so he, he, you know, he feels like maybe he was singled out. But he goes a step further. Okay, and and this is what's really really fascinating about Terrell Copeland's story. He believes that further evidence of his abductions is in an unknown rare blood disorder that was discovered when UFO hunters, the show, took him to a doctor who told him he shared the disorder with other people who had had similar experiences. Man, I have heard about this. Uh-huh. This is, uh, you remember you and I talked about wanting to do an episode yeah. On something similar to about this. these abductees that all seem to have this similar uh-huh. blood disorder. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, so Terrell Copeland is one of these folks. Uh, he says a head researcher and author told me that he believes I am an alien hybrid. At that point, Copeland says, I thought this was way past the point of lunacy. So even, even Copeland admits that this sounds outlandish yeah but the more he researched and studied ufo reporting and extraterrestrials the more weight it gave to the theories he says every culture from the aztecs to the egyptians talk about someone coming from the sky he even references the bible he says he believes that many of the instances in the bible specifically in ezekiel genesis and exodus that speak of beings descending from the sky are actually actually literal descriptions of aliens. He says, the beings, he said, planted humans here on earth and have been monitoring us. 
The information is there for us. Unfortunately, we don't look at things with a logical mindset. As humans with modern civilization, we've been blessed and we think we're at the top of the proverbial food chain. Mm-hmm. But he says that is not the case. Hubris. Like yeah. <laughs> we've mentioned before, it's the hubris of mankind. Exactly. And, you know, w- with him referencing the Bible, it always makes me think back to the, the Jimmy Carter reference. You know, the, the, there's the story that says that at one point during his presidency, Jimmy Carter was told all of the, mm-hmm. the stories about area 51 and, and, um, a- aliens that were here and, and were known ships right. that had been, but what, but that's all speculation. But the, as the story says that after all this information was shared with him, because it was Jimmy Carter's intent to learn this information and release it to the public mm-hmm. that he said, we cannot, we cannot tell society about this. This right. would shake the world to its foundations. And he, he said, you know, even as, you know, a Christian, this is just, you know, th- this is rattling my, my faith. Um, and that's, that's big. I mean, that's really big to think that, you know, everything you knew from your life, regardless of what your upbringing was, you learn information that makes you question everything. Can you imagine how that would make you feel? You know, it says it said he actually wept when he read it. Now again, probably this, pretty lost. Yeah, this is this is a story. It's circulated around UFO researchers, you know, for a long time. Um, but it it was it was Copeland referencing the Bible that that made me think of that. Mm. You know, um, and again, this guy's a former Marine. He there's nothing about him that seems like he's. He wants this kind of attention. Um, and he's trying to monopolize it. Yeah. Like, you know, make he, money off of it or he's just, it, it he's just not that. Okay. But it, he is the kind of figure that is, you can tell he, he is dealing with this. Mm-hmm. Okay. That th- this is not something like, Hey, everybody, this happened to me. This is like this, this happened to me. And, and I have to live with this knowledge every day of my life. Well, and I thought it was interesting that you said he was paralyzed, kind of like scientists would study wild animals. Yeah. If he is a trained Marine, and depending on what his job was in the Marines, he could be a very proficient killer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like wild animals can be. Right. And so the person study him, studying him, the entity studying him may say, you know what? If we don't put him out, he could kill us pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah. And if they've been following him for a while, like he says they have, then they know his training and they might know we have got to completely sedate him. Yeah. To perform these tests on him. And maybe his. Maybe his job, maybe his previous profession is why they're mm-hmm. studying him. That yeah. the the blood 
disorder along with the training. They're like, well, what is this blood abnormality? How does it contribute to his previous profession? Yeah, my my question on the blood abnormality um, would be, is it something that these folks have always had and that maybe that's why they were abducted? Or is it something that they have since being abducted? Yeah, bec- because of the abduction. Yeah, it's a yeah. it's a chicken or the egg kind of thing. Um, I, I think either way, it's fascinating. <laughs> you know, right. did they do something to you and now you have this odd blood situation going on? Or and- were you born with it and it somehow triggered them into you and they're like, uh-oh, we need we need to look at this guy. He mm-hmm. he's got the traits. You know, this one and over here's got them too. Not to spoil the episode that we might do, but what we were looking at, it was a thing that you were born with this thing, and this states that you are you descend from the half alien, half human hybrids. Yeah the Anunnaki or whatever from centuries ago. Mm-hmm. And that's why you're, you continue to see it and continue to experience the abductions and the UFOs and the aliens. And I still want to get into that. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm trying to be vague yeah. so that we don't give away our episode, but, but, you, but, but you're, you're saying, you know, it, it's a trait that you're born with. Correct. And yeah. and maybe not necessarily detectable. Um, right. You know, but, by by just by just routine healthcare. You know, they're not well, they're not gonna pick up on it. The one that I'm specifically thinking about, you can pick up on it. It just hasn't been verified that, you know, nobody's come out and said, Oh, well, this is because you're part alien. It's just there are a small group of the human race that has it yeah, and they just think it's a variation of our blood. Yeah. Yeah. That, that alone is fascinating to me. So mm-hmm. yeah, look, look, look down the line at us doing a little bit further research into that. Right. All right. So my last one is the Pascagoula, Mississippi encounter. And I for sure have heard of this one. The the Copeland one, like Matt said, I hadn't really heard much of that. I think I've heard his name mentioned, but didn't know anything about his story. This one I have heard, but it's it's fascinating. Um, October 11th, 1973, two men, Calvin Parker Jr. and Charles Hickson, went to the Jackson County Sheriff's Office and... They were frantic. They told the authorities that they had just been abducted by aliens. The two men showed the police that they each had a puncture wound in one arm, but the police were obviously still skeptical. They tried to catch Parker and Hickson in a lie while interviewing them, but they were never able to. Parker and Hickson also took polygraphs, and they passed them. Hmm. Now, polygraphs, as we know, they're inadmissible in court, but usually officers use a polygraph to 
puts you in an uncomfortable situation where you'll make a mistake in your lie. Right. Like if you murdered somebody and you go in for a polygraph and they tell you this is going to tell us whether you're lying or not, you're going to mess up. You're going to show signs of lying where if you were just sitting and talking to them, maybe you wouldn't. Now, I can't use this in court, but it'll bring out some lying traits Mm -hmm. that if you study people who lie, you can tell, you know, do they look this way? Do they use these kind of prefixes to their words? Do, uh, do they sweat? Whatever. And that the polygraphs will bring that out. They passed them. So it's obvious that they weren't, that they believe their story. Right. Now, Hickson was Parker's foreman at the local shipyard, and they decided to go fishing after work and an abandoned boat launch off of the bank of the Pascagoula River, and they stayed till after dark. Quote, I was just getting ready to get some more bait, Hickson told the Washington Post in 1975, when I heard a kind of zipping sound. I looked up and saw a blue flashing light. Calvin turned around, too. We saw a 30-foot-long object with a little dome on top. He said that as it hovered above the ground, three small creatures emerged from the craft, and they were also hovering above the ground. So they kind of floated out of the, the ship here. He said that both of them were paralyzed, and the creatures grabbed them with pincer-type claws and pulled them toward the object. Quote, I floated inside. Parker told the Biloxi Sun Herald in 2018. Hickson said that while they were on the craft, they were subjected to a physical examination by something that looked like a, quote, big eye. So whatever was doing it, all it was was a big eye. Like no body, no head. Yeah, just a <laughs> up-close picture of Matt's eye there. Now, the whole time, there was a mechanical buzzing sound all around them, they said. Now, after the examination was finished, the creatures dropped Hickson and Parker off at the same spot on the river where they picked them up from. Hickson said he found Parker standing up with his arms raised to the sky and screaming. So, picture that. Parker is just standing there on the edge of the river, arms up in the air, just going, ah! Yeah. When Hickson finds him, I mean, I might have the same reaction, right? <laughs> just if I just wake back up at, on the side of the, the river, I'm probably going to be going, holy beep, 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 beep. That's right. You know, it, it, I would be doing more than screaming, but you know, it, it's just, it, the way he describes it was just an uh, a funny thing to me that his arms are just up yeah. and he's just standing there screaming. Yeah, it is <laughs> funny. Know? I mean, it is. Yeah, you're right. I may do the same thing, you know. Yeah. There, just standing with his arms up screaming. I mean, that mm-hmm. is funny. Which man, sometimes life will just make you do that in general. That's right. I did it today. You know, I, you know. Yeah, you just throw your arms up and start screaming. <laughs> I've had it. I'm done. I, t- I told Adam this today. I was like, you know, it. I got stuck in the mud today at a patient's house, and it took me over an hour to get out. And I wound up, the, you know, this lady's son had to pull me out, you know, tow me out, essentially, to get me out of this muck. 
Now right. I'm standing out there. My, I mean, I am sinking in mud. My feet have sucked down in the <laughs> mud. It's raining, and I am just like, I've had it. This is it. I'm done. Yep. And I just, you know, I'm just throwing my hands up, screaming. And then yeah. they're like, did you just get abducted by an alien? And I'm like, no, my car's in the mud. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just woke back up from being abducted by an alien. Now, after they found each other, after this, they ran for help. Now, at first, sheriff's investigators thought the men had been drunk or lying. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you got you get two guys coming to the police you know, department going, I was just abducted by aliens. I don't know. He was standing there with his arms up in the air screaming. I mean, I, I was trying to get him away, and he just kept screaming with his hands up. And So you would think maybe they're drunk or right. that they're just telling a story. But after interviewing the men, they left the room with a recorder secretly taping, hoping to catch the pair dropping the act once they left. So that's smart, right? Yeah. They're like, yeah. but they didn't. They kept on talking about what they had seen and how scared they were. Quote, we did everything we knew to try and break their stories. Jackson County Sheriff's Captain Glenn Ryder told the Post in 1975. Quote, if they were lying to me, they should be in Hollywood. Yeah. So, and it, that, that was a good idea. It's like if they're telling us the story, then when we leave the room, they're going to have to talk to each other to continue figuring out the rest of the story mm-hmm. and we'll catch them. But they didn't. And what's cool about it is that, you know, they were trying to catch them in a lie and inadvertently added more uh, truth Validity. to their story. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, overnight, this became national news. There were news conferences and cameras thrust in the still in their still stunned faces. A, quote, UFO investigator from Northwestern University flew down and said their story checked out. Oh, well, thanks, (laughs) UFO investigator. Yeah, it's it's all good. (laughs) Yep, checks out. Now back to Northwestern. (laughs) Skeptics called them liars or said Hickson had an episode of sleep paralysis with hypnagogic hallucinations while Parker was, quote, highly suggestible. So I have to, Matt, he's fishing and all of a sudden has sleep paralysis with hypnagogic hallucinations. And he just talked Parker into going along with it and scared Parker enough that he went along with it. I know that's one of the most, that that is one of the worst explanations I've ever heard. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh no, this was not a a mass hallucination or hallucination shared by the two of these men. One of them, you know, may have had a hallucination and then convinced the other one that it was real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So real that he stood <laughs> in the side of the thing screaming with his arms. Up. We're not going to let that go. <laughs> no, I, I'm going to be talking about that for weeks. I mean, there'll be multiple episodes where I bring that up. Now, believers flooded into Pascagoula by the thousands. They were wrapped in aluminum foil and sitting all night on the hoods of their cars waiting for visitors from another world. So that's got to make you feel good about your story. You come out, try to get help, and then all of a sudden there's people wrapping themselves in tin foil and sitting on their cars yeah. to yeah. to see something like that. Well, I, 
I've always thought it's so weird that aluminum foil is the thing to go for. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always been the case. You know, the tinfoil hat, all that, you know. Yep. What? Aluminum Why? foil keeps the aliens away. I don't know. It is so strange to me that that, that is what everybody migrates to. Yeah. It, it blocks the rays, the mind-reading rays. Like, it, it can't now, block anything else other than maybe light, you know? <laughs> yeah. It catches on fire in the microwave. So, what is it just a, if they're zapping you with it, with some mind beam, it'll catch on fire, and then your head will be on fire? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I mean, that's smart. Now, Hickson was 42 at the time. He was well-known in the community. So perhaps he felt more able to handle the media crush, but he recounted the experience to anybody who he could talk to. And he actually went on Johnny Carson and Dick Cavett to talk about his experiences. And in 1983, he published a book about it. But Parker, he was only 18 or 19 when it happened. And he had just arrived in Pascagoula. He came from an even smaller town. And his plan was to earn some extra money and then return home to get married. He told the media that he had passed out at the beginning of the whole affair and couldn't remember what happened. Apparently, that was the only lie he told, he said to the Sun Herald in 2018. He lied about that to get them to stop asking him questions. Yeah. He said, in fact, he did remember what happened and was so afraid that aliens had infected him with something that when he got home from the sheriff's department, he took a bath in bleach. Lord. Which I've taken a bath in bleach after being out in the woods for a while to kill ticks and mm -hmm. chiggers and stuff, but not an alien virus. Yeah. But I've never been abducted, so maybe I would do the same. Ble but bleach is the way to go, I guess. <laughs> I guess. It's better than tinfoil. Um, but look up pictures of these two. You can see pictures of them sitting shortly after the encounter and he really does uh parker really does look traumatized mm -hmm. by the whole thing yeah uh, hickson looks a little better he still looks scared but parker looks traumatized i mean he's I, just from that one picture you're like holy crap this this kid's been through something and at only 18 or 19 years old that would have to be a lot to take in. Yeah, yeah. I think his his age plays into that quite a bit. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um because, you know, it 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 is a it is a terrifying thing. Um, but when you're when you're younger, you know, it's really hard to to handle stuff like that. I mean, you yeah, know, when I in your forties, like Hickson was, you've already experienced so much crap in your life. You're like, what else? Yeah. Of course yeah. this happens. Yeah. And but at, at 18, I got 19, a mortgage, of course, you know, it's, it's something, something different. And, and of course, you know, you, you're going to know that when, when, uh, when these, when these deputies and investigators were questioning them and doing that, you know, they, they admit they were trying to catch him in a lie, mm -hmm. you know, so you're, you're being, you know, harsh grilled, you know, by yeah. an officer at a young age. I mean, you get to, a, you, you see why there's situations where, uh, younger people have confessed to crimes they didn't commit, you right. know, because right. they're just scared. They just want to go home. 
Yep. You know, they, just, and I, they want to get out whatever they can say to get out of this situation. Yeah, and I'm sure Parker had that kind of emotion uh, going mm-hmm. on. I mean, I, I, I know I would have at, at that yeah. age. Yeah. Now, within a few weeks uh, of the abduction, though, uh, he skipped town. He got married and he picked up work in oil fields. If somebody at a job recognized him, he would quit. Yeah. Move, get another job. He did not want to talk about it. So if he started working in some oil field job and somebody was like, aren't you that Parker guy that was abducted by, he's like, well, I'm done last day and goes somewhere else because he doesn't want to talk about it. Right. And I mean, you know, this was, this was before social media, you right. know, and you know, imagine how much worse it would be. Um, oh yeah. You know, so yeah, somebody comes up and recognizes you, you're just kind of like, oh man. This is going to ruin everything. Yeah. You know, crap. Got to get a new job. Yeah. Next thing you know, he's in the foreman's office and he's being questioned about it Mm -hmm. because I mean, I, I honestly don't know how employers would act today. Um, I, I can't say it would be just extraordinarily, uh, accepted. Um, depending on what job you had, but in 1975, yeah, that would totally be a reason that somebody would fire you yeah um, and say you're drunk like, yeah all the time but, you know you can't be coming to work and spreading these kind of stories whether he, mm-hmm. he said anything or not but you right. know as soon as he's recognized the story comes out mm-hmm. and people are going to ask questions so yeah right. I, I i would imagine yeah he just said i gotta go you know and yep. just left yep and you know we've talked about it before on other things if people are trying to make money off of an encounter, it makes it less believable. Well, Hickson, they say if he was trying to get rich from this story, it didn't work. Yeah. Because Parker told the Sun Herald that before Hickson's death in 2011, he occasionally had to pay the older man's electric bills. So even after the book and going on Carson and all this, he wasn't making money off of the story. Yeah. He was just trying to get the story out there. Right. He, he couldn't even pay the electric bill sometimes. Yeah. So Parker just recently uh, passed toward the end of 2023, but he had slowly been coming out of hiding and discussing the events of that night for the last few years before he passed. He did eventually publish a book in 2018. And in March of 2019, new witnesses emerged from the shadows to discuss the events of that night. They claimed they saw a UFO that had flashing blue lights and it was flying up and down the Pascagoula River on the night that Parker and Hickson said they were abducted. They said they kept it to themselves all these years because they were afraid of people's reactions. One of the witnesses, Maria Blair, told the Clarion Ledger, quote, the story is very true. That's what bothered me for 45 years. It's been on my mind for 45 years. Man. Imagine holding on so, to something like that. Yeah, I, I, I can't. I, I would tell. I'd have to tell people. I mean, yeah. You see what I do for a living. I talk into a <laughs> microphone. I'd have to talk about. Yeah, it. we're gonna tell. So, but oh, you yeah. know, we're we're tellers. You know. <laughs> yeah. But I, I can see where, you know, again, at the time, you, you would just be like, I, I didn't see that. That, that's, that's yeah. not what I saw. I, I don't right. know what it was, but it wasn't a UFO. 
And over the years, you you hear this story um, from these two men, and it it weighs on you. I imagine, you know, uh, Maria Blair probably did share it with some of her close friends or family. Um, mm-hmm. And and who knows? May, maybe she was at least in her her inner circle um, ridiculed or anything for that story. So. Yeah, I mean, she just she keeps it to herself. She doesn't come forward, and then later says, "Okay, you know, I, I I'm at a point in my life where I can share this, and you know, this is this is what I saw, and it happened to be the same night that these guys claimed they were abducted." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So the last one we're gonna we're gonna cover tonight um, is. It's it's interesting because it's it's a little bit different than these other ones. Um, this is uh, the case of Debbie and Audrey Hewins. Now, Audrey and Debbie Hewins, they not only claim that aliens exist, exist, but that alien abductions occur, and they've had them probably since they were around five years old. Now, Audrey says that um, as a child a bright blue light would come into their room and the door would open and there would be this foggy kind of misty blue light and it would shine through the whole house and then two figures would come in. Now, Audrey and Debbie are twins and when this first happened to them, it, it, it frightened them to the point that they would they would beg their parents not to put them to bed because they were afraid that they would encounter what they called the bald men. Sure. Yeah. yeah. But their parents, they just dismissed it. Um, as you know, it was, it was just a way of them trying to stay up a little longer. You know, it's, it's kids telling stories, you know? Um, so that, you know, there wasn't really any, any credibility there, but, Audrey says her first alien abduction occurred, um, you know, during childhood, but that the visitations continued well into her adulthood. Audrey says we have been together on abductions. We have been up in crafts and we've seen our house from above. So we realized that, you know, these these entities are not from here. (laughs) <laughs> that's just they're not from here you know yeah you know you ain't from around here yeah. are you it fella? must be from up north um yeah way up north <laughs> he said she says they're very good at mind erasing or whatever you want to call it they you but, sure do got a pretty mouth Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I see lights and hear banjos you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But uh, but Audrey says that they would leave bits and pieces of things that they could remember, but maybe not the full story. Mm. So, you know, they would have these odd little memories. Said most of the time, uh, Debbie and Audrey were abducted together. But then there was one particular time that happened just to Audrey and she was as far as she could tell by herself. She says her first memory of this encounter 
was of realizing she was alone inside a strange room, apparently inside the alien's craft. Hmm. However, as soon as she came to this realization, her surroundings appeared to melt away. Said suddenly it appeared to her as though she was simply standing in space. And even stranger, she realized she was looking down at Earth. So, That's you know, weird. it wasn't like she's floating up above the yard. You know, she's actually in space and then everything kind of fades away. And it's like she's just hovering there, you know, or, hmm. you know, it, maybe it was some type of uh, cloaking mechanism for this craft or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But she says it, it was when they were 11 or 12 when some of the more detailed and harrowing encounters occurred encounters that the two girls would recall and record much more clearly than their early childhood one said and these encounters were much more than just visitations said they quickly progressed to regular abductions said the two girls recorded that these apparent alien entities would undertake quote all kinds of experiments on them experiences that experiments that took place on board the creature's spacecraft whenever they would wake from these experiences their memories of these encounters while disjointed and hazy were more prominent they had also apparently specific windows of missing time see here we are again with the missing time it which made the girls contemplate um the notion that their alien alien abductors had the ability to target specific memories of the encounters to ensure the girls could not remember them fully. Yeah. So this is kind of an interesting detail um, because other UFO researchers have uncovered similar stories from other abductees, you know, where it's like, I can't remember everything but I can yeah. remember specific instances, um, you know, but they don't have a full, you know, this was the beginning. This is what happened. And this is when I got back. I think Travis Walton was the same yeah. way. Yeah. And they, and again, you know, a, a lot of these folks and, and the twins did this too, will undergo hypnosis to try to mm -hmm. unlock repressed memories. Now, although the twins refer to these entities as the bald men, what they've described to people that listen to them resemble what ufologists have dubbed alien greys. Now, greys are alleged to be a type of extraterrestrial being that is human-like in form, gray-colored and with an enlarged, hairless head. Okay? That they're the greys are the typical you know, if somebody said, hey, draw me a picture of an alien, this is what most people would draw. You yeah. know, the bigger yeah. head it comes down to the point, the big eyes, no hair. Okay. And in the book, The Alien Abduction Files by Kathleen Marsden, the women explain that over the years of their abductions by the bald men, eventually they would meet other entities. Now, the other entities that they met were lizard-like humanoids that would appear in the girl's bedroom. These were essentially reptilians. Yeah. Yeah. While they would perform all manner of experiments on the girls, 
On at least one occasion, both sisters claimed that they were taken to an underground location and raped by a large reptilian humanoid. Hmm. And, and, you know, while that sounds preposterous, it's a claim that has been made many times by many people all over the world. You yeah. know, that yeah. there, there was some type of, of sexual component to uh-huh. their abduction, you know, male and female. Right. right. Now, the humans told Marsden that the reptilians had no sympathy or feelings at all. They said that when the reptilians were near them, they felt as if they were, quote, sucking the energy from them. That's another claim that other abductees have reportedly experienced, saying that the reptilians feed on energy, particularly negative energy. So mm. where are you going to get that negative energy if you've abducted a human? Yeah, you're, scare them. Yeah, that's it. You're going to scare them. You're going to terrify them. Yep. And and you're going to draw off of that energy. So Audra recalls that on January 3rd, 2007, she started experiencing feelings of anxiety similar to, the, similar to those that she experienced as a child, which always was a precursor to an alien visit. Hmm. Huh. Her memory of that experience is clouded, but Audrey recalls waking on a table with the feeling that something was, quote, scraping my left ovary. As soon as this realization came, she blacked out. She suspects that it was due to something that was being administered by her abductors. Now, Marsden also notes that based on Audrey's notes, these visitations often occurred either just after or before the full moon. The January 2007 incident occurred the day before the moon was at its fullest. Audrey herself provided a potential explanation for this. She said it happens to be the time that she would be ovulating, which mm. she suspects is the best time for her abductors to perform their reproductive experiments. Now, again, this is something that has been put forward by other UFO investigators and uh, people that recount stories of being abducted. Yep. Okay. Some breeding program or something. Well, yeah. Or, you know, maybe they're, you know, it's either they're, they're trying to, look into how humans reproduce or seeing if, if an individual would be a, a potential, um, surrogate. Yeah. 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 That's, that's the word I was looking for. Surrogate. That's it. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> now, while she was initially hesitant to come forward, Audrey claimed that after a non-human entity saved her from drowning in the ocean, She was inspired to dedicate her life to openly discussing her alien abduction experiences. Hmm. While in their 20s, the the twins reached out to MUFON for help, stating that the drama around their abductions had become too much for them to handle. Debbie underwent a hypnotherapy session to help unlock some of her memories, but unfortunately, unlocking those memories proved to be too traumatic. Debbie recalls everyone in the room screaming as she was coming out of her hypnotic state because her skin had turned an eerie shade of gray. She says everyone freaked out 
I freaked out. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, but both women agree That's that weird. hypnosis probably wasn't the best idea. But, mm. you know, when you, when you look at some of these stories, hypnosis, it always comes up eventually. Sure. Yep. You know. Now, neuroscientist Robert Davis, who was one of the first professionals to lend his support to the twins, explained that Audrey and Debbie Hewins' experiences are, quote, shared by many thousands, if not millions, worldwide. It's unreasonable to think that they would all be lying or reporting dreams and fantasies, he said. Mm -hmm. These events are consistently reported and should be taken seriously by everyone in spite of their uniqueness. And by uniqueness, he he's being polite, and most people would say weirdness. Right, right. Um, yeah, I mean it, it is. It you know they're like when you get these researchers and and you know the, the, you know he's a neuroscientist for crying out loud. Um, he's like you know we we've got we've got to take these things a little bit more serious. Sure. Now. For Debbie and Audrey, they have actually started a support group um, for people that uh, have been abducted. And it started out, It's well, let me tell you, it's Starborn Support. Okay, that's the name of their group. Um, for a long time, it was just a hotline. Okay, nearly 2,000 calls and, and oh, counting. Wow. wow. And... Uh, she says today they have 12 chapters on the East coast in Latin America and Colombia. Audrey says the hotline still rings often at three 33 AM, which according to her is a common return time for abductees. I had never heard that before. Had you, I've heard there's a lot of weirdness around three 33 in the morning, but I, I I can't say for sure that I've heard it was the return time for abductees. Yeah. But I know there's a lot of weirdness in the paranormal realm around 3.33 in the morning. Yep. But uh, they say oftentimes the caller is panicked and they just want somebody to listen and believe them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you imagine something like this happening to you and then having to tell somebody and go, I, I just, I need you to believe me. You know, I need you to listen and believe me. But instead of abductions or abductees, she calls people who have had encounters experiencers. People can either be taken, sent mental pictures, or hear voices, she said. And some experiences are dormant. You know, some are activated. I mean, they remember what happened. Now, Hewen says that in her experiences, she's learned that the Earth is not in danger of an alien attack, but that the planet is very, very sick and people have lost touch with it. She talks about pollution, pulling oil and gas from the ground, losing animals to extinction. She said the planet being destroyed would have a domino effect throughout the universe, and that's not going to be allowed. And that's another thing that we've heard very commonly is that it's the reason we there's so many um so many UFO sightings around um war war areas and yeah, nuclear facilities yeah, nuclear sites yeah it's because they're observing to make sure that we don't blow ourselves up right 
And it you know? could be because, like we've talked before about this being a hub of transportation. Like they use wormholes to travel. Maybe mm-hmm. we are a layover spot or we are a conjunction right. area. And if we destroy the planet, then we mess up their conjunction, you know, their, their layover in Burbank kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So, you know, like, like we said, four very compelling stories. You see similarities in all four. Um, there are distinct differences. But all of these individuals, they, they firmly believe that they were taken. Mm-hmm. They were either experimented on, they were transported other places. Um, and in, in a lot of cases, it's happened multiple times. So it, it really becomes hard for me to discredit all of these folks. Right. Um, you know, they've been put under scrutiny. Um, their stories have been tested. They've taken lie detectors. Um, you know, they, you just can't throw them all under the bus and go, they're, they're all crazy. They're all hoaxers. Um, they're just looking for attention, looking for money. Yeah. Looking for money. I mean, you just, you can't do that with these stories. So you, you have to wonder, did these people really get abducted by aliens? Mm-hmm. I mean, At you least know, it really makes you something. question it. Like, yeah, it may be not aliens, but they were abducted by something. Yeah. And mass hallucinations is not the answer. No, I am. I am. I am 100% convinced of that. Hypnagogic hallucinations and being, uh, easily controlled is not either, you know? Yeah. Yeah. A, a blood disorder, um, that can be detected medically. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not a prank. It's not a hoax from many different abductees, not just one. So it, it just, it's, it's extremely curious to me. Um, and, and again, these are just four stories. And, you know, as that neuroscientist said, these are stories that people share all over the world. Mm-hmm. Hundreds, thousands of people have similar experiences and it's not just in the United States. It's all over the world. Yep. So, it, you know, you're thinking all of these people can't be lying. Right. All of them are, you know, you, you, you take out a few of them and you're like, yeah, you yeah, your story didn't fit, but they're not all lying. Right. They're not all crazy either. Right. Yeah. Cause so, it's not all people that you would look at and go, yeah, they were probably abducted by something with a clown wig on, <laughs> you know, it's right. like, uh, some of these people are. If they didn't tell you about their abduction experience, you would have no clue that something was different about them. Exactly. They exactly. are productive members of society. They n- act and seem normal. Mm-hmm. And some are Marines. You know, he, yeah. he can't be the only service member that has had a story like this. I guarantee you there are more. Marines, Air Force, Army, Navy out there and soon to be, I'm sure Space Force has had some too. I mean, it's in the name. They have to have, but (laughs) that's right. (laughs) You know, I guarantee you there are other service members out there who have had 
some type of interaction like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at how many have come forward with video um, or stories of just, you know, UFO sighting. Right. Um, you, you know, there's so many of those you think you're, I'm with you, Adam, there's bound to be some other military personnel that have, that have had abduction like mm-hmm. experiences. So, but tell us what you guys think. Yep. I mean, do, do you think these folks are just completely out there? Um, or, or do you feel like that there is something, uh, ab- abducting these individuals, taking them, um, observing them, studying them, you know, even doing experiments on them and then sending them back home. Let us know what you think. And the best place to do that is in our Facebook group. And again, our Facebook group is fantastic. It's called the graveyard. Um, it is a safe place. It is a private group. You can share these stories. No one is going to make fun of you. No one is going to think you're a loony. Um, that we just, we love hearing stories. We love hearing opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, because a, a lot of times, look, you guys have a, a fresh look on something that we've discussed on the show that we haven't considered. Yeah. And, and we, we love that. So please, you know, keep sharing those, those thoughts, um, keep sharing those opinions. We, we love to have them. Uh, when you're done there, you can check out our website, which is graveyardpodcast.com. And there you can find uh, links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can listen to the show and you can become a patron. And as we announced at the beginning of the show, we've got a a brand new show coming out for our $10 patrons Mm -hmm. later this month. Um, So, you know, keep keep your uh, your RSS feed tuned uh, for our new show. Man, this this was a long one, but this was incredibly cool. And it was a heck of a lot of fun to research. Um, cause it, I mean, it definitely makes me think there's, we're not alone, you know? Oh yeah. We're, we're oh, not yeah. alone. So until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon.